Blog Talk Radio. Overlook it all and, and move on. 
from there because I, I couldn't deal with the um, with the degree of hatred that I felt the darkness that I felt within myself and within the world that you know and I, and I just had to, to, to break away from that and I did and and much of my reclamation or reparation if you will of soul uh, happened because I just let things go you know I just said forget about it I, I can't deal with this in a rational way so I did and but my my disdain and my dis, dis, disrespect and my hatred still are there but it's it's glossed over by my need to survive you know my need to get along to get on with life and to cast some kind of inspiration and learning from what I gathered over this last six months or so and um I'm greatly inspired uh, by a, by an essay that I reread and I've read a number of times, but for some reason it, it it struck home to me more than ever before. And uh, I, I, those of you who have followed my other shows know that I'm a, 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 a disciple, if you will, of Emerson. And um, Emerson has always inspired me. I, I don't care um, in the depths of despair or otherwise I, he's always inspired my I, far more than any biblical works or any you know anything else and as a book I've had for many 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 years I don't know when I bought this probably back 30 years ago it's called it, uh, it was a paperback on nature by Ralph Waldo Emerson and the the, the book is um called Nature. I mean, it was a, a group of essays, about three or four essays that he wrote. Okay, he put it into a book. And uh, remarkable, remarkable work. Now, i got to remind you that Emerson was a transcendentalist. And a transcendentalism was to, when you... Rising the spirit, raising the consciousness to a level of, well, that I call trans-dimensionalism. We trans, we, 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 we become trans-dimensional. We, 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 we move, we ascend to another level of consciousness. And it's not so much just to avoid this level of the pain from this area, but it's, it's what we do in it. And 150 years later, after these words were written, we, we are there now. Emerson was there already, but in others, and what was another great, great people and great writers of that time and poets, but now we're here. We've ascended to this level. And I think it's important to go back and look at what they said and then compare what they said to now. And I'm going to do that, okay? And it uh, starts with uh, nature. To go into solitude, a man needs to retire as much from his chamber as from society. I am not solitary whilst I read and write 
though nobody is with me. But if a man would be alone, let him look at the stars. The rays that come from those heavenly worlds will separate between him and the vulgar things. One might think the atmosphere was made transparent, and this designed to give man in the heavenly bodies the perpetual presence of the sublime. Seen in the streets of cities, how great they are. If the stars should appear one night in a thousand years, how would men believe and adore and preserve for many generations the remembrance of this city of God which had been shown? But every night come out these preachers of beauty and light the universe with their astonishing smile. The stars awaken a certain reverence because through, though always present, they are always accessible, inaccessible, rather, I'm sorry. But all nature, but all natural objects make a kindred impression. When the mind is open to their influence, nature never wears a mean appearance. Nature does the wisest man extort all her secret and lose his curiosity by finding out all her perfection. Nature never became a toy to a wise spirit. The flowers, the animals, the mountains reflected all the wisdom of his best hour as much as they had delighted the simplicity of his childhood. When we speak of nature in this manner, we have a distinct but most poetical sense in the mind. We mean the integrity of impression made by manifold natural objects. It is this which distinguishes the stick of timber or the woodcutter from the tree of the poet. The charming landscape which I saw this morning is indubitably made up of some 20 or 30 farms. Miller owns this field, Lock that, and Manning the woodland beyond. But none of them owns the landscape. There is a property in the horizon which no man has, but he whose eye can integrate all the parts. That is the poet. This is the best part of these men's farms. Yet to this, their land deeds give them no title. To speak truly, few adult persons can see nature. Most persons do not see the sun. At least they have a very superficial scene. The sun illuminates only the eyes, only the eye of the man, but shines into the eye and the heart of the child. The lover of nature is he whose inward and outward senses are still truly adjusted to each other, who has retained the spirit of infancy even into the era of manhood. His intercourse with heaven and earth becomes part of his daily food. In the presence of nature, a wild delight runs through the man in spite of real sorrows. Nature says, He is my creature. And Marlborough, all his impertinent griefs, he shall be glad with me. Not the sun or the summer alone, but every hour and season yields its tribute of delight, 
for every hour in change corresponds to and authorizes a different state of the mind, from breathless noon to grimmest midnight. Nature is a setting that fits equally well a comic or a morning piece. In good health, the air is a cordial of incredible virtue. Crossing a bare common in snow puddles at twilight under a clouded sky without having in my thoughts any occurrence of special good fortune, I have enjoyed a perfect exhilaration. Almost I fear to think how glad I am. In the woods, too, a man casts off his years as the snake uh, is uh, slow, and at what period soever of life is always a child. In the woods is perpetual youth. Within these plantations of God, a decorum and sanctity reign, a perennial festival is dressed, and the guest sees not how he should tire of them in a thousand years. In the woods we return to reason and faith. There I feel that nothing can befall me in life. No disgrace, no calamity, giving me my eyes, which nature cannot repair. Standing on the bare ground, my head bathed by the blithe air and uplifted into infinite space, all mean egotism vanishes. I become a transparent eyeball. I am nothing. I see all. The currents of the universal being circulate through me. I am part or particle of God. The name of the nearest friend sounds then foreign and accidental. To be brothers, to be acquaintances, master or servant is then a trifle and a disturbance. I am the lover of uncontained and immortal beauty. In the wilderness, I find something more dear and conant than in streets or villages. In a tranquil landscape, and especially in the distant line of the horizon, man beholds somewhat as beautiful as his own nature. The greatest delight which the fields and woods minister is the suggestion of an occult relation between man and the vegetable. I am not alone and unacknowledged. They nod to me, and I to them. The waving of the boughs in the morning, in the storm, is new to me and old. It takes me by surprise, and yet it's not unknown. Its effect is like that of a higher thought or a better emotion coming over me when I deemed I am thinking justly or doing right. Yet it is certain that the power to produce this delight does not reside in nature but in man or in the harmony of both. It is necessary to use these pleasures with great temperance for nature is not always trickled by in a holiday attire, but the same scene which yesterday breathed perfume and glittered as for the folly of the nymphs, or the frolic of the nymphs, is overspread with melancholy today. Nature always wears the colors of the spirit. To a man laboring under calamity, the heat of his own fire has sadness in it. Then there is a kind of contempt of the landscape felt by him who has just lost by death a dear friend. The 
sky is less grand as it shuts down over less worth to the population. I want to take a few minutes just to discuss that because the pregnancy of, of this, I mean, this, this essay is so pregnant with, with, with thought, with, with uh, spiritual essence, you know, that one's relationship with nature, it's a communion. It's a communion that we have with, our, with nature those of us who understand nature, those of us who understand the world. And the world is, breathes, it, it, it is alive. Everything is alive and, and, and has feeling and has emotion and has thought. And until we recognize that, until we recognize the intelligence of a plant or an animal, or another human being, then, then we can't resolve these issues that we have within ourselves. We can't even approach these things in a rational manner because we look at everything in our lives from an egotistical point of view. It's all us. How is it affecting us? How, why is it affecting us? What have we done for it to affect us? But in essence, what we have to say is, how is it affecting them? How are we affecting those around us? How are we affecting nature? And how is nature responding by affecting us? I don't know. Perhaps I'm... Maybe I'm, I'm just lost in space. And if you want to know that by fact, you can go to my website... <laughs> Lestewshow.org.
then I wanted to be recognized on the street or in a bar or at my job. As I get older, I realize the value of losing myself, my ego, my image, my personal possessions are all part of the me I created throughout my lifetime. They have all been lost or found or repaired and changed or discarded like old relationships and old library books. When I think of all I have learned, I realize I have forgotten what I have not used. Many of the thoughts I've had and statements I've made in books and essays, paintings, drawings, music, I've created and photographs I've taken, unless I put them on this website or in journals or drawers or file cabinets or hang them on my wall, they were a part of me lost and never to be found or even remembered. It is the same way with some people I have known and later forgot their names or faces or who they were at all. I believe it is all part of the aging process when the mind begins to accept that death is final and we must lighten our minds and hearts of all we no longer want or need to remember. What and who we remember and who remembers us is all there really is. I, uh, I believe that, you know, one. Something that I, I, I became enlightened by that thought because I, I, so many things that I've lost over my lifetime. So many millions of thoughts that I've had, friends that I've made, and hundreds and hundreds of people I've known, but are gone now, and I, I can't even remember their names, and even their faces. And yet I, I struggle to, to, um, I struggle to try and remember them. And then when I do, I realize why it is that I, you know, I had some difficulty remembering them, all right? And some people I can't, I mean, I've forgotten thousands, uh, you know, so many people I've known. Um, I've just forgotten on that. And it doesn't, I mean, everybody does that, you know, everybody. But, I don't know. I, I'm just at a point where nothing makes much more sense, you know. Um, I wanted to read this because this comes from that particular essay. Um, it's a quote by Emerson. It's a poem that I wrote. It's called, Most Persons Do Not See the Sun. Emerson wrote that in that in his essay. I quoted it. And I wrote this poem, inspired by that. The sudden dryness of the air startles the arid thoughts of loss, sadness, and remorse. 
The regret of actions taken or not rushes over the desert mine as a flash flood of tears. The madness of loneliness becomes the death knell in the final scream. Most persons do not see the sun. They only see the darkness and feel the grief of their day. I am the sun and the sky and night. I am the flood of tears. I am the despair of regret. In the dawn hours of self-forgiveness, the wise man walks on water and the divine in him calms the raging sea. Yes. And, you know, that, that was inspired by this poem, and, and of course by what I've been going through, really, and I think, uh, I just feel that I've, I've come to a level of I've arrived again. I've, I've come back from the depths of despair, if you will, or the loss, and an understanding, you know, and and held on. And I think uh, Ralph Emerson, for uh, his inspiring words that have brought me back, and my connection to nature that has has been so overwhelmingly. Um, personal, you know, and inspirational in the last uh, six or eight months, um, I wrote a short poem called The Sacred Lotus. And on my website, I have a beautiful picture of, uh, of a pink lotus. And one afternoon as my spirit landed, I watched rays of sun dancing upon the petals of a pink lotus. My soul merged with the soul of the flower, and I heard its song. Its sacred spirit danced with me, and sang its song enchantingly, inspiring this poem. The reason I say that is because I made tea out of the sacred, out of the pink lotus, and it, uh, it had a wonderful effect on me, as it will on many people. If you have, uh, say, uh, pink lotus tea, blue lotus as well, um, it gives you a remarkable sense of uh, uplifting. Um, here's another poem I wrote on April 15th. Yeah, but you, uh, I'm sure people around the country and people in public school listening have had some pretty nasty weather but in April. But April 15th, I wrote this song. And it was called, Winter is Finally Over. Not quite yet, but it was that day. The cold days of gray sky and snow-covered ground are finally gone. Smiles of petals and leaves are widely grinning. It was warm but breezy yesterday until the rain clouds crept in late last night and this morning careful not to drown the newly budding greens. This evening might bring frost to the northwest hills that could kill the tulips, crocuses, and daffodils. 
depending on how cold the night is. It was a long, hard winter from November to the end of March without a January thaw. April was always warm and cold. It rains and sometimes snows. But this April, I hope it only rains and the air stays warm and the sun shines, bright sun shines again and again and again. This is a big, you know, I did a number of uh, photographs, uh, photo series. They're on my website as well, uh, org. And uh, over this winter, February, March, April. And uh, it really, really, so much captured my uh, nature photos, you know. Uh, it really, really helped me heal. And uh, I highly recommend <laughs> them as well um, to everyone who needs healing. So, yeah. Well, in so many cases of I got a really incredible picture that goes with it, uh, if you look at my website. It's called Out of the Wasteland. And it says, In the wastelands, the bright sun blinds the mad beast, raging in the windswept desert of the mind. Left to its own demise, the beast carries a torch of passion that tortures him with fire-filled days of magnetic vice that steals all traces of his soul. Near the borderland of madness, the beast drags itself across the borderline, unrecognized by dwellers there. The dwellers are without sympathy for mindless sufferers of sanity blinded by the bright sun. They can only see themselves and hear their own screams of fear. The beast rests in quiet indifference, insane surroundings where dwellers there create high walls around themselves and do not invite others to share their lives. On the same side of the border are those who fear their own madness and frail sanity. They believe they hold fire in their hands that does not burn them. Black doves howl and snarl at the white moon that reveals their deformities until clouds hide the moonlight and darkness shades them. Silverfish disappear beneath the waters of life to feed upon the smaller species swimming in the same sea. They are we within the wastelands of the mind and time. In a sea of time, all is lost forever. Memories are dreams and whirlpools growing wider and deeper, consuming all into them, whirling and twirling around and down into an endless circle of sea and sound and winds and waves until light is gone and night is eternal. 
The light of morning is lost in the night. Seasons are no longer seen or remembered, except in the memories of the dead. From out of the wasteland, the surviving soul is alone in the ruins of the world. So anyway, uh, here's another one that I wrote, a little shorter and uh, kind of inspirational. That was I was this was one morning, but I got quite inspired. Sunday morning actually, and I wrote this on uh, April sixth. The morning sun spoke to me today as I made a cup of tea near the kitchen window. I said hello as a, as a bright yellow halo above my backyard. It says hello as a bright yellow halo above my backyard. Then the sun shone across the wood floor and the pine planks turned golden and my dog laying on his pillow glowed in sunlight as his fur shined hot white. And a cat pleasantly smiled when the sun rays spoke to her as she slept on the arm of the dead sofa. It is a beautiful spring Sunday and silence rules the neighborhood. Skies of blue, grass is greening, and the birds are singing an eternal symphony. I am at peace this morning in casual communion with nature and God and the halo of the sun. And really those some of my works this this month available on the website. But I you know, I got deeper and deeper in and um, this one that I wrote that uh, and I have a, a, a remarkable um, I, I was really pleased with the way this came out, but it's an old painting that I did in 1995, an old drawing that I did in 1995 and I later enhanced digitally. But um, I put this up in March. Um, it's called The Hallucination. The holographic effect of words rhyming with visions seems to throw a shadow over the concept of clear, precise meaning. Imagine a deep, dark cavern of stalactites and bats clinging to the ceiling, and imagine the lost voyager that last came through the cave and that happened to him. I was he, and now found my way into today with the strange light of day shining through the entryway glazes over my eyes 
to create a soft, glow, glistening, gossamer of true vision. Here in the archives of hidden meanings grow the secret stems of hallucinations and the undergrowth of civilizations. Banquet halls of kings and paupers sitting together in Shakespearean plays, lost actions of knightly heroes lost in biblical swamps of tears, held bent on genocide of Indians and anyone else who multiply faster than white men. Hey, but I'm white and I don't kill Indians. What am I in your vision? One of the good guys, like the Lone Ranger or Rin Tin Tin. Here it comes again. Imagine, like John Lennon, what could be and what could have been. But he was killed at 40. I wonder if he saw it coming. Let's dance to the chromosomal syncopation of the rhythmic chant with blistered feet walking over hot coals listening to the spirits of possessed shaman running through the, dark for the forest crying the names of the dead who summons them. Where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? Heaven holds a place for those who pray. Hey, hey, hey. They threw their heads back and forth into a frenzy of elation and inspired smoke through ecstasy. Hey, hey, my, my, rock and roll will never die. It's better to burn out than fade away. My, my, hey, hey. Words were never said better than those. But in the mountains of acid rock and the sonic chemtrail skies, only the sounds of flatulence survive. And there... The honest, clean, and organically grown die. In the midnight hour, we all cry, cry, cry. Hey, listen to him as he's running ragged through the fields of burning sage, proclaiming and cleansing his soul in a fit of rage. Here, in the humble room of cluttered dreams and clear visions are the wasted words of wanton desires captured in sentences. O oh, ancient pipe of vision, Quests reject the spirit guides of homicide and patricide and matricide and fatricide. Left swimming in the memories of hate, pain, and anguish, as love died years ago when the madman and the mad pain and the uh, madman remained. I welcome my dead friends to speak to again in the matrix of mind-bending hallucinations and patterns on the walls of rooms filled with mementos and memories and books and papers and pictures and letters and phones and file cabinets full of things to keep and forget. Off were the opening lines and dilapidated thoughts swept away by time. Goodbye, long dead, who redeemed his soul in increments of love, pain, sorrow, and now lives as an artist and poet in a vision of happiness and fulfillment. Oh, anyway. Um, I guess you get the point of where I'm going with this. Um, but I continue to go. <laughs> A lot, of, a lot of places to go here. Um, as I read this, I, I 
only listens to understand maybe where I'm at and where and where I've been. And the next poem I have to read is called The Calamus Spring. In the wild and worn world of old poets and poems, few are born with inspiration, yet none can live without it. The hallucinogenics of modern users and the, and the holographic lives they live forget calamus burns with the light of poetry within the realm of dreams. Oh, beautiful for days gone by for some everyone who reads these words. Lost in a dream of Antigone's screams, I am the fourth head of Cerberus, a sea creature from Odysseus' nightmare and a sacrificial pawn in recent world war diplomacy. Hallelujah, and a horizontal skeleton laying down in a field of poppies and some Afghan mountain field of fallen bullets and madmen bombing themselves on opium hives for heroin cartels. Calamus crazy is better than all else in the realm of dream and dope-filled hazes. Whitman knew his way to the words of wallflowers and working stiffs or politicians gasping rhetoric. He wouldn't be fooled by an actress in a Toyota commercial smiling at him after paying a million-dollar fine, mocked by a Mardi Gras grinning mask in a car dealer's showroom. Oh, America, America, go shed your light somewhere, and do thy good with brotherhood from dream to shining dream. I see alabaster chemtrailed skies turning into a silver screen. Today is official spring. Hello, Mother Nature. It's been a while since I've seen you in anything but winter white. Restrain yourself from wind and rain and wind, tornadoes, now or hurricanes, for this first day of spring. Create another holographic reality of days of sun and warm and cloudless skies. Hooray for the arrival of spring and the returning hero and heroine, assaulted by the crowd of starving salesmen and homeless veterans warning them the suicide rate is increasing. Hey, it's the first day of spring. Everyone should feel happy and gay for the outing of all who need to be outed in parades and stores and gas stations and crossways and crosswalks and on television. It's spring, so let us all sing. Where have all the flowers gone? Or where are the great South African runners' legs and right left and right legs and modern model girlfriend he shot to death. A big jagged six foot seven inch suicidal fashion designer girlfriend who who's not paying him back his multi million dollar loan. It's spring and the world is wondering about the seven 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 disappearing or diving into the Indian Ocean. We cannot forget Russian President Mr Putin and John Kerry's frightening warning to him that if he doesn't stop occupying the crane John Kerry and Barack Obama will put him over their knees and spank him. So, Mr. Whitman, I see your point. I see your wit. I see the effect of calmness. I understand the strange, unbelievable world of chaos and fools. I prefer to sit back and enjoy this first day of spring as the temperature rises to 50 degrees, and maybe the sun will shine through the chemtrailed skies and some green comes through the brown ground, and maybe a robin will sing.
I hear one now calling to its mate, a cheerful yet shrill sound of warning, uncertain of spring's return and fearful of winter's leering grin. But today is spring and I am, I must be celebrated, and it must be celebrated. So here I am ready for a party, ready to sing a song of spring, ready to join with a robin the song and praise the first day of spring and warmth and sun. This poem was published at 12.37 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, exactly the start of spring. Hope you like that. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. Uh, anybody who knows what calamus is, um, calamus is a uh, is an herb, basically. It's uh, ethnogen. And uh, if anybody's ever taken it, it really puts you in a nice place. You make it as tea, you know, just kind of something to smoke it. But basically, Walt Whitman used to heat it, chew on it when he, when he walked through the woods, and put it in a uh, out-of-body state, you know. And uh, I've tried it. And it was very good. In fact, I wrote that poem under its influence. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, the next poem I want to read tonight is very deep and dark, but it's very personal. And um, I wrote it back in 2002, I believe. It might have been earlier. No, it was actually it was earlier. I wrote this poem back in 19... 90, in about 2000. It's called The Shadow's Poem. I am shadow, I am dark wonder, a form without substance, darkness without depth. I am shadow, a half-person with voice, without body, without light. I am free to feel and hear and to exist without identity. I am the ruler of darkness. Light exposes all. I exist in darkness. I am shadow. I am nameless. I am the first and last. I am the serene, the serene and sullen statue at the gate of death. I am the century of conscience and dark warrior of defense. I am indifferent to pain. I am indifferent to fear. I am blind yet all sensing. I exist in darkness. I cannot see the sun. I am an illusion of sadness and despair. I am alone here always, though I am part of everyone. I am solitary. I am alive. I am spirit. I am a reflection of life. I am nightmare. I am here. I dwell in oblivion. I rest in fear. I am the deepest, darkest, I am the outline of everyone. I am their subconscious and darkest vision. I walk in darkness, merging with night. I am seen against buildings and walls illuminated by lamplight. I am a shadow, the evolving human, the great cave beast, the Neanderthal and Cro-Magnon. Before love was need, before compassion was greed, before death, became ceremony. There was only me. 
I am the Lord of Night, the ancient man, the stalker, hunter, gatherer, the inventor of fire. I am shadow, long and lean, short and stout, tall and round. I am the illusion of thought, melting into memories, bitter and sweet, creating a fleeting history. I am the elusive dream, the elusive goal, the wealth wished for, the mirror of the soul. I am shadow, invincible, unshakable. I am the image of darkness and all. I am eternal cold. I am dark and void. I am the ice man. I am a glacier. I am the dark waters frozen above the ground, beneath, frozen above and beneath ground. I am the Arctic and Antarctic solar polar separation. I am elongated in the late afternoon. I am reflected of this reflection of the sun and moon, the solitude of loneliness and solace of death. I am the poet cast off thought, the unfinished poem, the incomplete vision. I am the embodiment of the secular God, the last thought and memory, the unwritten epic poem. I am war. I am peace. I am all. All are me. I am shadow, dark and deep. I am history. I am the unforgiven. I am shadow beneath the midday sun cast against gray stones of sorrow and sin. I am oblivion. I am darkness. I am daylight. I am sleep. I emerge from a dark sea as water on a dry land, as a dark form over white sand. I emerge with the night sky until a moonbeam shines to cast my form out of darkness, exposing me to light. I am shade against the sun, eclipsing the light of day, I am seen by all in empty ruins. Listen to my silent voice. I speak in silent thought. I work in silent toil. I sleep in silent dream. I am morning, night, and afternoon. I am life and death and in between. I am the shadow that darkens every room. I am shadow, the dark reflection of everyone and everything. That was, um, I wrote that um, about 15 years ago. But it's posted on my um, website. And um, you can find it there under the poetry section. But, you know, as we move along and as we try to uh, reclaim our lives, or at least explain our lives, what happens is we roll um, well unless we try to draw some kind of connection between nature and our lives and the things that we have and the things we own and the people that we're around. We we don't connect, you know. And uh, our lives don't aren't fulfilled properly. And uh, we we become disengaged, you know. 
disconnected. And here's another poem that I wrote in February. No, I didn't write in February. I actually wrote it back in, uh, excuse me, 2002. It's called White Field. And this is, this is, this poem I wrote, uh, 12 years ago, yeah. But, and I, it was actually published in the Voice newspaper. Uh, which is a great paper that now no longer exists, but a very big paper in Connecticut, 40,000 know, readers. But um, it's called Whitefields. There are no functions in life. Each thought or action is balanced. Each day brings night. Each wrong brings right. To the right of darkness is light. Rolling in level fields of white stretch before the wanderers of life. Every knoll has a veil and every depth has a height. There may be fences or covered rocks, mole holes or a tree here and there. White fields lie flat as mats, not as carpets of color, but with holograms of life darting in and out of sight. Spirits may wing by as a swift blast of wind, or tread lightly nearby embodied in the coat of a deer. A message of memory is up in a fallen, frozen, fallen leaf, whirls a play near my feet, a dancing thought on white fields of nearly forgotten time, known only to a single mind. White fields of winter, crusted over by ice and wind and snow, melted by harsh rays of sun, are broken by footsteps leading on to a forest or into the horizon to a destination known only to one. White fields and melancholy places as blank expressions on white faces, a blank stare in the world where no color dots the landscape to create beauty or evoke complex passions. There are white fields that remain untrodden, outlined by green borders or golf courses and cultured forests. There live snowmen and snow women and snow children within the boundaries of white fences and white sounding towns. Towns of milk and money, snow white people with Christian virtues suffering snowy spiritual hallucinations and discomforts as frozen noses and cracked lips, chapped by blistering boredom of dreary days and blinding white. They read sun blinded blurbs on newsprint snowy computer and television screens, causing infectious white diseases of eye strain and migraines, cured by aspirin, alcohol, Prozac, or cocaine. Through global warming, though global warming may melt away layers of ancient ice, exposing a colored history, white fields will remain white until the rains of change destroy all in anarchy. Then the muddy colors of mad and mighty rivers overflowing their banks will forever change the once white landscape. I wrote that back in 2002. Um, um, this one is new. Oh, not new. I wrote this in February and I kind of I'll probably end this tonight with this, if I can. 
was a blizzard in February here, and uh, Lila and I were uh, snowbound here actually that, that morning, and I was looking out our bedroom window. Uh, we were on a Saturday, and we were, and we said, "Wow, look at the snow!" And I wrote this poem. It's called Two Robins in a Blizzard." And this was this true. Uh, there, there are two robins sitting on a tree outside our window, and it's huge blizzard. <laughs> and so they were together on a tree outside our bedroom window this morning during the blizzard. We wondered why they were there and if the robins were lost in a February storm. We marveled as we watched them because we both thought robins migrated in winter. I looked it up on my computer as soon as, it, as I put in the words, do robins, three questions appeared. Do robins migrate? Do robins migrate in winter? And where do robins migrate to? I wonder how many times these questions have been asked during a February blizzard. There were hundreds of Google results, but the general consensus was that some robins migrate, though not all robins do, and some stay home and flock in the woods, while others go south for abundant food. We were both surprised by the answer as we watched the two robins in the tree. And I said to her, isn't that funny? She replied, yes, it is strange to see robins in a blizzard in mid-February. I laughed and said, huh, I thought it was spring. Yeah. And, interesting. <laughs> but, uh, I wanted to, uh, in January I wrote this uh, poem, very, very short. But it says, there is no silence among the winter dead. The name of the poem is Winter Dead. They scream their names carved on headstones as they are beaten by cold wind, ice, and snow. Yeah. And my final poem tonight is called Forgetting It All. This this was my this helped me a lot. But I wrote this back in actually I wrote it in November. But um, it helped me get out of a funk that I was in. I can't remember their faces or why I should remember them. I remember they were once close to me like a family. But if they were, how could I forget them? Their entire existence is fading from my memory. Who or what they were or are. I can no longer see. They're faceless and nameless people I've never really known or seen. Blurred, blurs, or faded memories. I don't remember anything about them, and I'm sure not, and I'm not sure why, except for some vague notion that they were once part of my life, somewhere at some time, but I don't remember where or when. Forgetting is not the same as forgiving. I must remember who I am forgiving before I can forgive them. Forgiveness is something saints do, and I have never tried to be a saint. I am not a Christian or Buddhist, Hindu or Jew, Muslim or atheist. I am just a man like most men, who live and work, eat, drink, think, sleep, love, hate, and cry. My memory is not 
what it once was, especially for things I want to forget, like hard times and ex-wives, past illnesses and bad situations, great despair, disappointments, and lies. Great friends I will never forget, great love I will hold in my heart, great beauty I will always remember, everything and everyone I want to forget, I will forget forever. And with that poem, I will end tonight's show, and I, you know, Transdimensional Radio is here. Um, I'm glad I was able to do it, and, um, you know, I hope you'll join me next week. Next week we'll have a full calendar, we'll have Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night, and we have guests. Um, I have a guest uh, coming up, uh, not next week, week, yeah. uh, but we'll have uh, Larry Dorman, I believe, there on our union show. And next, and uh, on Thursday night, we'll have a. I'll be talking more and reading more essays, and uh, possibly we'll have a guest uh, psychic or author um, to join us. And um, look forward to that. Please enjoy the show. Tell your friends about it. We're back. Yes, we are. Transdimensional Radio is here, and uh, LA still is blazing. So, for everyone, thank you for joining me tonight, and. Uh, Tell your friends, uh, join us, and uh, if you want to go to my website, lastillshow.org, check that out, Um, and you can find all these poems and much, much more, and all the pictures and the photo series and everything else I put up in the last six months, so please look, Uh, it's been great, and a lot of people worldwide are enjoying it, Uh, right now it's phenomenal, I mean, I mean, 166 countries visit my website each month, and it's amazing. And, and um, you, know, hundreds, you know, tens of thousands of visitors. And um, so I, I'm just so encouraged. But I want you to let know that um, those of you who enjoyed my Thursday night programming, uh, it's back, and I'm committed to doing it each week, you know, along with my Tuesday, Wednesday. And um, I hope you enjoy it. In the meantime, God bless you. Uh, stay, uh, stay real, and uh, good luck. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. You know, I'm going to do something different tonight. I pulled out my. I'm going to try to play you out my own guitar. There you go.